Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Clockwork Aranya podcast, a podcast all about the Dutch national team. I'm the founder of Clockwork Aranya, Finley Kroboda, and as always, I will be the host of today's episode. Um, and it will just be me for today's episode. So if you don't like the sound of my voice, then, well, you should probably head off now. Um, but if you don't mind it and you are going to stick with me, then, well, what you'll be hearing in the next, I don't know, however long it'll be, probably not that long as I'm on my own, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour or so. Um, what you'll be hearing is me just looking back at the first few months of 2022 because when it comes to the, in regards to the Dutch national team, it's been a pretty busy few months. So, yeah, I'll just do a quick run through of what happened in the first matches, although I'm not sure you need reminding. And then after that, I'll discuss my thoughts on them mainly about the new system that we played Louis van Gaal's 3412 um the pros and cons of it um then I'll take a look at the world cup draw our group stage draw um and look beyond that as well to who we could face whether it's a good one or bad one and then finally I'll chat about the news that after that world cup Ronald Koeman will be coming in and replacing Louis van Gaal um so yeah, by the way, I say it's just me for today's episode. It's not quite true. I also have a cat with me where I'm recording, and he's got a little bell on his collar. So uh, yeah, if you hear a jingle, that is his cat, not me. Um, so yes, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, the first, So like I said, I'll just run through the matches that we played. Um, obviously, the first one was against Denmark, and that was a, a great performance, a 4-2 win. Um, against, you know, we have to consider Denmark a top side these days, you know, they got to the, the semi-finals of the Euros, very nearly got to the final, have looked really good for some time, have a lot of top players, and yeah, we beat them 4-2 and we were the better team as well, we had more possession, had more shots, created more chances, um, and yeah, even the goals, I mean, one was a set piece and one was just a screamer from Christian Eriksen, so yeah, all in, the all, all in all, a really encouraging performance. And then, yeah, what followed that was a match against Germany, which was not quite so encouraging, to say the least. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a disaster by any means, and we did draw in the end, but I think a lot of people, um, myself included, were guilty of getting a bit carried away after that match, just because of the fact that it ended with us equalising, and, you know, we should have had a penalty and probably got a winner, if not for a dodgy decision for VAR um but on the whole it wasn't a great match until the last 15-20 minutes really Germany were the better team um they really overran us in midfield we didn't look great defensively or going forward and yeah it exposed a lot of issues that the side still has despite the fact that you know we look much better than we did uh <clears throat> this time a year ago obviously um so my thoughts on the matches well I mean the main thing to discuss is, of course, the new system that we played. The 3-4-1-2, moving away from a traditional 4-3-3. So yeah, my thoughts on that, I'll just start off with pros. I think the pros of the system pretty clearly are that it suits our top, top players. And it allows us to fit them all into the team. Um, in terms of top, top players, if you're asked who the Netherlands best players are there's three names that are probably going to come to mind uh, Virgil van Dijk obviously Frankie de Jong and Memphis Depay I'd say they are our three best in terms of ability most important um and yeah this formation suits all of them perfectly uh van Dijk did kind of say that he'd prefer to play in a back four but um you know playing in the middle of a back three is absolutely fine for him as well as he showed 
Um, he's just as good there. Frankie De Jong, I think, is much better in this system than he was in the previous one. Um, in the previous one, he played as like the the lone pivot, the lone holding midfielder in a four three three, and he put in some good performances. But I think it it definitely held him back a bit. You know, when he's the only holding mid, he can't get forward as much. Uh, he can't, you know, create as much near the box in and around the box. Um, and I think it does. Yeah hold him back a bit because that's a really good quality of his um whereas now in this new formation he's playing in a double pivot alongside two and coop miners um and i think it suits him much better you know the left of a double pivot is where he's always been best really you know if you look back to his um to his days at ajax he played on the left of a double pivot then in that year where they had that incredible champions league run his best matches for the Netherlands were under Ronald Koeman when Koeman played a 4-2-3-1 and again he played on the left of a double pivot. It's simply his best position pretty comfortably I think you know he can drop deeper to get the ball and then take the ball further forward move further forward off the ball as well. Um, have an impact pretty much all over the pitch and that's what we want. So yeah that's really encouraging I think and I think it also suits Memphis Depay best you know with with Memphis there's always been a bit of um a debate as to what his best position is, you know, left wing, striker. I've wondered that myself. Uh, I think in this in this formation, he kind of gets a happy medium. You know, he plays on the left of a front two and he can kind of just roam around. He can be a winger if he wants because there's another striker there. He doesn't have to kind of, you know, be the focal point of our attacks, um, but he can also come narrower. So I think it's ideal for him. So yeah, those three, it suits well. And I think as well, it, it lets us get our best players into the team, generally. There's a few exceptions I'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I mean, weirdly, maybe for the first time in the history of the Netherlands, our strongest position is probably central defender. And it makes sense for that reason to have three central defenders. You know, I mean, Van Dijk obviously has to play. De Ligt is world-class. De Vrij is world-class. Nathan Ake is starting to look world-class. Urien Timber is world-class. Daily Blind is a great option. So yeah, we've got some serious strength and depth there. And yeah, I think it makes sense to utilise it, you know. It wouldn't make sense to only play two of those names, especially given we don't have particularly strong fullbacks. I think it makes sense to, yeah, just get rid of fullbacks altogether and put another centre-back in because we've got such incredible ability there. I mean, you know... There's so much depth. You've got six world-class options, really. So it would be crazy to only play two. So yeah, they're the pros of the formation. I think as well, it works well for Steven Berghaus, playing as a number 10 uh, rather than out wide. I think, you know, he's done that really well at Ajax this season. He looked really good for us. Not so much against Germany. He kind of got a bit marked out of the game, a bit overcrowded. But against Denmark, you know, he was really good. Won a penalty. And yeah, had a really nice link up with Memphis and Bergvine. So yeah, they're the pros. And I think, yeah, quite a lot of pros. I mean, there are cons as well, though, obviously. I think for me, the main con is we don't get a place for Arnaut Danjuma, um, which is a really big shame because he's, I mean, in terms of Dutch players performing at the top level, I don't think there's really been a more impressive one this season, apart from Van Dijk, but... He's uh, in a league of his own, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dan Juma's been excellent for Valencia, uh, for Villarreal. He's been scoring goals, creating chances, causing havoc for defences. And not just in La Liga against, you know, small teams either. He's done it in the Champions League round after round after round. Um, and that obviously earned him 
a, a call up for the Urania, and uh, yeah, he re- he's really impressed then as well. He's kind of looked like the winger that we've been crying out for ever since Iron Robin retired. Uh, I'm not saying he's on the same level as Iron Robin. He's obviously not. Um, but yeah, we've been longing for a world class winger since Robin retired from international football. And yeah, we got Dan Juma, and we finally got it. It looks like. And then we move to a formation that doesn't play wingers. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, uh, he does play as a striker for Villarreal, but he plays on the left. Um, and that's obviously when Memphis is going to play for the Netherlands. And you can't drop Memphis. I'm sorry, you just can't, even if he's not been playing that much with Barcelona. He has to play. So there's no room for Dan Juma. I mean, I don't know. I think I'd like to see him tried alongside Memphis. Uh, as a striker on the right-hand side. Obviously, Van Gaal has a big thing about wanting to play players where they prefer to play, which is understandable, but I think that Dan Juma could do a job on the right as well. You know, if you had Memphis dropping deeper, Dan Juma on the last man with his pace, movement, finishing, I think he could cause some real problems, like Steven Bergvine did, you know? So I'd like to see that tried. But yeah, that's a big shame that we don't have a left winger in this formation, so he... Ends up getting dropped. Um, all of the above also applies to Cody Gakpo, who's one of our most exciting young players. And again, no left winger. Uh, he could play as a number 10, I think. But yeah, so that's a big downside of the formation. Um, and the other one and the other one for me as is that wingbacks are so, so important in this formation. You know, they provide all the width. They are defensively, they're the only players that are responsible for defending the wide positions properly. Uh, properly. And offensively, they're the only players responsible for attacking out wide as well. So they have to do everything. And I don't think on either side we have players quite capable of that. Um, I don't know. The closest one's definitely Denzel Dumfries. He's excellent going forward. He's, uh, yeah, really causes havoc in the opposition box so much. He's quick, strong, wins headers. You know, created, got an assist for the goal against Germany. Um and yeah, he's an ideal candidate there. I think my only issue with him is that his technique isn't the best. You know, he's not got the best passing vision, first touch. Um, and also he's very, very attacking, which can leave a lot of space behind him. But uh, he's got the pace and the stamina to, to make up for that, to be fair. Um, and then on the other side, it's the complete opposite. You've got Daily Blind, who does have the technique, does have the vision, Um I'd say, you know, apart from Frankie the Young Memphis Depay is probably the best in our squad when it comes to that. But he just doesn't have the defensive capabilities for that position. You know. As a left wing back, you obviously leave a lot of space behind you. Um, and to make up for that, I think you need to be quick. And he's just not, you know. He kind of makes up for that a bit with his positioning, but he can still get exposed so much. Just his lack of pace um, and his lack of physicality as well. You know, he's beaten in the air time and time again for Aranya and he's outpaced time and time again for Aranya. Other options is obviously Tyrone Malassia who's an excellent young talent um, looking better and better for Feyenoord and he's definitely got the pace. Defensively he's I think definitely better than Blind. I don't have much doubt about that but he doesn't have the the, the passing, the vision, the crossing that Blind has going forward. Um Looking ahead, I'd probably rather he start on the left, um, just because he's got more chance of improving his attacking capabilities than Daily Blind has of 
getting faster or getting taller or getting stronger unless he develops some superpowers in the next few months. So, yeah, the, the wingbacks are a bit of an issue. I mean, Denzel Dumfries I'm still pretty happy with on the hold. I'd like to see Frimpong, Jeremy Frimpong, given a chance because um, he looks like a great talent, was obviously going to be called up for, for the last matches but then got injured. Um, and obviously Rick Karsdorp. Everybody wants Rick Karsdorp to be called up. I don't really understand why he hasn't yet, but... Um, well, we can hope that he will at some point soon. Um, another solution, I think, which a few people along the clockwork around your Twitter have got in touch and suggested this, and I think it's definitely an idea worth trying. It kind of kills two birds with one stone, you know. Like I've said, two weaknesses are Dan Juma has to be dropped for this, and we don't have a great left wing back. Um, well, how about playing Dan Juma as a left wing back? Um, obviously, he plays on the left generally, and he would be, well, he'd be not capable defensively at all really um unless it's in a foot race against a winger in which case would be all right but yeah he's not a a defensive player in any shape or form you know there's no doubt in that but with the quality of center backs we have three center backs all world class maybe it's worth risking especially against teams not quite as good you know you have a left center back that can cover him you've got midfielders that can cover him um and he obviously offers so so much going forward but yeah i think it could be worth a chance we've obviously seen um belgium do that with their formation at major tournaments for the last few years they've had the likes of um carrasco thorgan hazard players and wing back with a more defensive one like thomas munier on the other side um and yeah i think that could be worth worth trying for us I think we would maybe have to drop Dumfries for a slightly less attacking right wing back because at the moment he's bombs forward so much. And I think if he did that and Dan Juma did that on the other side, we'd be pretty exposed. So I don't know, maybe stick Yuri and Timber there at right wing back and then try Dan Juma on the left. Um, in which case, in possession, I imagine it would kind of convert to a bit of a 4-2-3-1 with Dan Juma filling the left wing position timber dropping back into right back and you know the left center back goes out to the left um and i think it's definitely worth trying you know um we need to find a way to get dan juma into this team i think without dropping memphis to pie i think there's two options for that you either try to stick him at left wing back or you try to stick him as the right striker alongside Depay. um and yeah i don't know which one would work better i'd probably rather just see him go as a striker but uh yeah I think trying him as a left wing back is definitely definitely worth doing as well because yeah I really do think it could work um and if so we'd get all of our world-class players into the team I think so um yeah they're my thoughts on how that system works out in the first few matches that we played with it um all in all I think it's definitely worth sticking to definitely um like I said, it fits all of our strengths, really. We get to get all our best players in. And I think most importantly, it gets the best out of Frankie de Jong and Memphis Depay, which is huge. I mean, if we're going to do anything at the World Cup, we need those two in form, getting the best out of them as possible. Um, it also allows us to fit two and coot miners in, which is nice because we all love two and coot miners. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I think there's definitely stuff that can be worked on, but happily we have a lot of Nations League matches to try try those things in. And yeah, although I'm pretty, pretty happy that uh, Van Gaal decided to switch to it, I'm pretty excited about how it can look with a few more matches. Next up, so a few, a few, shortly after those matches, we obviously had the World Cup draw, and yeah, that's 
more good news, I think. Happy about the 3-4-1-2 formation and very happy about the World Cup draw because of all the pot one teams we could have got, we got the one that isn't really very good at all. Qatar. Uh, I mean, that is just the dream, you know. I There's a part of me that thinks, you know, maybe it'd be good to to play a top team early, you know, test our level. But actually, you know what, I'm fine. I'm fine not playing a top team at the start. You know, a nice, easy, easy start into the tournament. You know, maybe rest a few players and, yeah, happy days. Uh, I, that being said, I don't think it's, it's going to be a walk in the park either, which is a good thing, definitely, because you've got Senegal, who are a very good side. I think a lot of people are underestimating them. They are the African champions, uh, they've got Sadio Mane. They function really well as a team. They have a lot of a lot of other impressive players, um, and I think that'll be that that will be a tough match, our toughest match, I'd say. That's also our first match, the opening match of the World Cup. No pressure. So I think that's massive. You know, if we can win that, then I think we can feel pretty good about topping the group. Um, if we lose it, then you start to get flashbacks to Euro 2012, where you start on the back foot and it's all a struggle. Uh, and I think if we lose it as well, I'd back Senegal to beat Ecuador and Qatar. So I think if we lost that, we'd end up second in our group, which wouldn't be ideal um, because the group next to us has England in it, who you'd assume are going to top the group. So if we come second in ours, we'd probably play them in the round of 16, which, yeah, wouldn't be great. But if we top the group like we really should and England top their group, then we have another easy, not easy, but another winnable match after that because we'd be playing... Worst case scenario, USA. After that, if all the matches panned out like they would according to the world rankings, which is obviously by no means a guarantee, we'd um, have Brazil and Argentina in the quarters and semis, which would be tough. Um, I think that my personal pick, you know, if I had to pick a side that I think will win it, Brazil and Argentina would probably be maybe even my top two. So yeah, that would be tough, but... You know, we can't think that far ahead. At the moment, all we can do is look at the groups. And in terms of the group stage, yeah, it's um pretty, pretty good draw. You know, avoid the top team. Still have two pretty decent sides in Senegal and Ecuador to keep us sharp. And yeah, all in all, I'd say it's it's ideal, to be honest. I'm also very excited about the prospect of the Netherlands playing in the opening match of a World Cup. You know, that's never happened before and it'll be a case of, uh, yeah, all eyes on us, which will be nice. You know, living in England, watching Netherlands matches on British TV, they often don't get the, the coverage that I wish they would, but with it being the opening match, they definitely will. So, yeah, happy about that as well. And all in all, couldn't really wish for a better World Cup group, to be honest. Yeah, at the end of that World Cup, obviously Louis van Gaal is going to be leaving uh and yeah that brings us on nicely to the last bit of news i'm going to discuss because who's going to be replacing him is ronald koeman returning after he betrayed us for barcelona uh nah i'm fine i'm over it it's okay ronald and yeah i mean this is a safe a safe pair of hands isn't it really it's the safest option they could possibly find the kmvb and i don't know i think it does make a lot of sense you know Obviously, his reputation's taken a pretty big hit from what happened at Barcelona. I think people maybe exaggerate the job he did there as well. I don't think he was that bad. You know, Xavi has had some good matches, but he's also struggled in a fair few games. Um, And Koeman did win the cup and, you know, only just missed out on the title there. So, yeah, I mean, for one, I don't think he did that bad a job as people make out. 
I don't think he's a bad manager, as people make out. And most importantly, he was really good when he was last in charge of us, um, before leaving for Barca. You know, obviously, we qualified for the Euros comfortably. Um, we made it to the final of the Nations League. In the Nations League, we beat France and Germany and England. In the qualification, we beat Germany, finished above them in the groups. And yeah, we just put in a lot of really good performances against top teams. Uh, and it'd be the first... That really... And, you know, if you consider as well that he'd inherited a team that had failed to qualify for two major tournaments and looked a complete shambles, he deserves a lot of credit. He got a bit lucky, obviously, in the fact that he came in at a time when young players were coming through as well, like De Jong, like De Ligt. Um, Van Dijk was getting better than ever. Memphis was getting better than ever. But, you know, he still deserves a lot of credit for the job he did. Because, I mean, the results were really really impressive uh so yeah i think it makes a lot of sense it's a safe pair of hands and i pretty confident he won't be a disaster by any means uh like frank de boer was that being said i don't think it's the most exciting appointment or the most ambitious appointment either i mean to be honest i'm recording this the day after rangers made the europa league final with gia van bronkost at the helm and watching how well he's done there has kind of made me wish that we went for him instead uh you know he's he's a younger option a more exciting option I think he plays slightly more expansive football on the whole um and yeah he'd be a long-term option you know we could build a team with him for years to come a bit like England have done with Gareth Southgate you know and yeah I think it just excites me to have a to have a new guy at the helm, a, a new guy, a young guy who can be with us for a long time, who will bring fresh ideas. Because, I mean, that does hasn't often happened with the KMVB in my lifetime, to be honest. I mean, in the 21st century, we've had Louis van Gaal three times. This is off the top of my head, so I may be wrong on some. But Louis van Gaal three times, Dick Advocat twice, Ronald Koeman twice now, Chris Hiddink. Not quite twice, but he left in 98. So, you know, you get the picture. We kind of go round and round the same tried and tested options. Um, and there's going to have to come a point where we stop doing that, you know. I mean, Van Gaal's retiring after this. Advocate's retiring soon, you'd think. Although at this rate, he never seems to leave. Uh, Hiddink, again, looks like his career as a top manager is over. So really, after... Ronald Koeman is the only one left um, and he's not that old you know is it for a national team manager he could be with us for a good while to be fair to him a good 10 years or something but yeah there's just a part of me that would have liked a younger more exciting option um, that being said if Koeman comes in does a pretty good job and then leaves after a few years for us to get Eric Ten Hag or Van Bronckhorst, if he does, if he continues to do well at Arnis Slot or, you know, one of those, then I won't be complaining. You know, it's a, it's a sensible option, just not a very exciting one. But maybe that's not a bad thing on the whole. So, yeah, that's that's everything, really, that's happened in the first few months. Uh, looking ahead, I'm really glad that we have an international break coming up with a lot of matches because there is, uh, obviously, there's not much time at all uh, just before the World Cup to get this tactic tried and tested, this new system, because it's in the middle of the club season. I think players are going to all arrive in Qatar literally like a week before the first match. Um, our first match, because we have the first one, which isn't ideal in that sense. So yeah, it's it's really good that we've got these Nations League matches 
to kind of, you know, hone in on this system to practice it a bit more and maybe try out some new players as well. You know, I'm just thinking who who we'd like to see given a chance. I mean, for me, Joey Veerman is the top one looking ahead to the next international squad selection. He's the guy that I'd most like to see because I'm just a massive fan of him, I think, especially for PSV playing a bit further forward, you know, in the attacking midfield. I think he's been great since he's joined them. And that's a position that we could maybe improve on still, you know. Um, Steven Berghaus was really good there, but I think we could do better, and I think Veerman could do better. So he is a guy I'd love to see in the squad next up. Um, Pablo Rosario at Nice is another one, because I think we need a good alternative to Coop Miners in alongside Frankie de Jong, and I sadly don't think that's Genie Wijnaldum anymore. He's hasn't played well for Aranya for a while, isn't doing too well at PSG. So yeah, I'd like to see Rosario in there as well. And yeah, obviously Jeremy Frimpong. But it looks like Van Haas has him very much on his radar. He selected him for the last squad before he got injured. Um, so I think he'll probably be in the next squad, which is exciting as well, because I love Denzel Dumfries as much as the next guy, but I do think it's worth just looking at other options there. You know, and Frimpong's a massive massive talent as fans of football manager will know very well so yeah they're the players i'd like to see added uh, i definitely want us to stick with the 3412 formation and yeah on the whole feeling pretty excited about um our prospects going forward now i think this is we look much better in this than the 433 we've got a good squad i think van hal very much knows what he's doing yeah i well, i'd like to end on van hal himself actually and just obviously other news came out that he's uh, has prostate cancer. He's had it since before he took the job. And yeah, I mean, that's just... Obviously, I wish him the very best. Hope for a full recovery. It looks like he's going well towards a full recovery, which is great news. Um, but I think it just says so much about what an incredible person he is, not just as a manager, you know. I mean, despite that, he took the job when his country really needed him. He stepped up because, in his own words, there were no other options. So we really needed him, and he came through despite the fact that he was fighting cancer. And he kept it quiet, you know? He kept it quiet because he didn't want it to distract the players, to to, to get to the players, cause problems for the players. So he'd go to the training ground during international breaks and make sure that he had his treatment for, 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 for the cancer at night away from the players while they're asleep and I mean that is just just incredible you know it really is I admire him so much now more than ever and well you know if this was a Hollywood film I think we all know that this this story would end with him taking his nation to their first ever world cup and uh yeah let's just hope it is because that would be one of the most incredible stories in the history of sport um but let's not get carried away just yet. That's just about everything. I'm sure I'll be back, hopefully, with Peter to discuss the next matches, which are coming up in June. Look at them, hopefully chat about some good results. In the meantime, you can obviously find Clockwork Aranya on Twitter. The at is just simply Clockwork Aranya, although I'm sure you know that by now. You can also subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so. And please, please, please do leave a review if you enjoy the podcast, uh, wherever you listen. If you can just 
stick five stars it doesn't even you don't have to put any comments but yeah that would be great also if you've you know enjoyed this episode if you want to give your opinions on any of the things i've discussed you know get in touch then feel free to tweet me at the clockworker on your account thanks again and i'll see you in about a month and a half bye